Hello, and just a quick heads up ahead of today's Cook Along Kitchen conversation. Um, if you do like what you hear here, please be sure to subscribe to my podcasts, uh, follow along and do leave reviews on those that you listen in on, um, since this really does help other potential listeners find these episodes. And it also lets me know that I'm along the right lines with the content I'm publishing. Um, for those of you who are new to my podcast, all the ingredients needed for each recipe are posted in the About Each episode, which is located on the covering page for each post. I think if you just click on the details bit, it will open up and expand on that and all the ingredients are dropped in there. Um, do please feel free to message me using the button on my homepage. When um, I do cookery tuition in people's homes, it's great having that one-on-one chat and the dishes that we're cooking really do throw up some interesting conversations and questions. Um, I really love engaging with you all equally so here in this platform and your questions do help steer the content of future posts, in particular the kitchen tips and time-saving habits that you're always keen to learn more about. Um, I am committed to sharing all that I know about food and mealtimes across the rapidly growing episodes here, but please do feel free to fire any specific questions around a dish that I've made or your feedback after making it. So without further ado, let's let's push on with today's dish. Um, was one of my favourites actually, which is slow roasted shoulder of pork um, and homemade sage and um, onion stuffing. Now, the trick to this is just to leave it in the oven. Uh, they that's the hard and fast rule here. So there is nothing particularly difficult about this. Um, you do need to keep one eye on it whilst you're distracted by other things, just to baste the meat every now and then. Um, but crucially, the pork really comes into its own, and you get a nice piece of shoulder um, that's tied up with string, but it's got a really great piece of fat across the top. Um, the key is to get that, uh, keep it dry, uh, make sure then you oil it and you salt it heavily, and what you will end up with is um, a sort of a a tough piece of crackling that ends up really almost brittle uh, but also that's in place then to protect the meat below and stop it from drying out we are also going to put a bed of vegetables in there which will enrich the stock that we can make the gravy with afterwards um, but firstly to get on with the piece of pork um, the key here is to make sure that there are plenty of incisions across the fatty surface now it is tough Um, So you are going to need a sharp knife because you do need to really penetrate that fat and get right through. Um, And that will possibly mean cutting into the the pork slightly below. Um, But I've got a really sharp little knife here that I use as a veg knife. Um, That dragged across the surface and and pressed in with some force is really what we're looking to do. Otherwise, you end up with bits of crackling that are just too large and they won't break. This, in essence, creates those um, sort of lines where your crackling, once it's thoroughly cooked, will naturally split um, and break. So when you're looking to divide that crackling up, then this makes it far easier to do so. Um, It will also enable bits of, um, of air and pockets to get through to the pork beneath. Um, But the idea here is that this big tough layer does actually protect the meat below from the fierce heat of the oven because make no bones about it, we're not having a kind heat going on. It's going to be quite a um, a, a fierce heat for the good part of three and a half to four hours depending on the size of the, the shoulder that you have from your butcher. Now, there is nothing exciting about this piece of pork other than it's um, a Packington free-range piece of pig um, and it literally is boned um, and therefore rolled as a shoulder. So having made all those incisions, you can probably hear I'm slightly out of breath now, you want to quickly prepare some vegetables for the base for it to sit on. Now, we don't need to be 
particularly thorough with these vegetables. I've got an onion here, which I'm going to do no more than quickly peel, and cut it into a half, and then cut each half into thirds, and pop those in the bottom of my roasting tray. Uh, I've also got uh, a couple of ends of a disused carrot, so I will throw those in. They add a lovely sweetness. I've got the remnants of a leek that wasn't used for the cauliflower and leek cheese. Again, that will get thrown in there. And then garlic. Now, garlic comes in to play in far greater proportions here than you'll perhaps imagine with a roast leg of pork, whereby the finished result actually will have only the merest whisper of this. But nonetheless, we will throw this in and you'll get that really rich, beautiful gravy. So, I'm going to peel here half a dozen garlic cloves. Um, as an indicator, my piece of pork is just over three kilo. It's designed to feed six of us, uh, sorry, eight of us. Um, I'm forgetting the younger two children. Um, but I'm rather imagining there will be some leftovers that we can poke into soft, floury baps later and enjoy with some of these stuffing, perhaps even tomorrow. And all you want to do is just take the papery skins off from the garlic cloves and then throw those into the roasting tin. Now, just mind fingers as you're cutting. I have a terrible habit of uh, being a bit slapdash with a knife and actually making incisions all across my left hand um, most of the time that I cook. In fact, it's remarkable I actually have any digits left given how slapdash I am sometimes. Um, this garlic is a really lovely um, pink garlic, which is quite sweet um, and certainly very pungent, um, but any garlic will do here. There is no snobbery in this kitchen. Uh, and crucially, the garlic's going to do no more than lend its weight to the juices that we'll retrieve later. Um, partway through the cooking time, we are going to just drain off some of the fat that the pork's emitted and store that so that we can later roast our potatoes in it. Um, but for now, we are just gonna prepare this joint for our meat. Now that's all of the garlic cloves now in the tray. So we're going to now just add a slosh of um, white wine, which can easily be cider. And actually it could easily be vegetable stock if you felt so inclined. Um, but I happen to have a bottle of white wine that's really looking for a home. There's not much left in the bottom of it. It would have been used for something at once upon a time, possibly cooking. So we're going to pop that in. And all that will do is stop the pan juices from drying out entirely. It's barely given a cover to the base of the roasting tray. So don't imagine we're going to be throwing any great deal of volume of liquid at this. But nonetheless, the pork will sit nicely upon there. Now the key here is when you place your piece of pork inside the roasting tray, and we're not going to cover this, we firstly need to get the salt flakes and before we try and adhere those to the surface of the what will become the crackling we need to be generous with the oil that we drizzle across there and this is a messy job for those that don't like handling meat you're probably going to be quite squeamish at this point um, simply massage the olive oil all the way across the surface of the pork making sure that the oil finds its way into those cuts and incisions on the surface. Give that a good massage. And again, so that you're not taking any hands that could contain bacteria uh, and cross-contaminating with your salt dish, use your other hand to carefully remove the salt from the dish and pop it on the top. Um, and get right to the end as well and down the sides because quite often the surface of the pork can end up really crispy but then as it gets down towards the sides there's been no consideration of salt down there and consequently 
It's a little bit more chewy instead of that crisp, brittle snapping that uh, is so desired mostly. So, well, that is, now again, don't worry about the salt here. So plenty of it will be absorbed, plenty of it will cook out. So you won't be uh, doing yourself any harm by being quite liberal with the salt. But nonetheless, it's the salt that will help that uh, crackling crisp. Now, once you've done all of that, all that remains is to actually put it in the oven. And it's not covered. It's not got foil on the top or anything. It literally just sits in the oven that's preheated to 190, 200 degrees. And there it will remain for the best part of three and a half to four hours, basting occasionally. Now, to make the stuffing, um, and you know, you can rely on packs of the stuff, and goodness me, who doesn't? I know certainly in my youth, um, it was relied on heavily, but I am inclined to want to make my own. If I have a spare, I'd argue probably seven minutes, maybe the recording of this bit will take slightly longer, uh, just because I natter on and get distracted. But whilst I'm talking, we need to be prepping our onions. So take two um, onions. I favour red onions just because they add a little bit of interest and colour to the dish. White ones can tend to get lost with the breadcrumbs and everything else. Um, and peel those. Now, if you suffer like me from terrible intolerance to onions, then you are going to find this bit particularly painful and find that your eyes are streaming as we start to work with the onions. So there are a couple of things you can do to reduce this problem. One is, once the onions are cut, place them into a shallow dish filled with cold water and put them cut side down and that means that then they, um, the gases that essentially emit from the onions and cause those tears can no longer escape and they are um, softened and, and if you like concealed by the water uh, and secondly and this one makes you look even more peculiar you can I am told stand with a wooden spoon biting on it across your mouth um, and hold that firmly in place by your teeth with your mouth slightly open like a dog would hold a bone or a toy I'm guessing uh, for the duration of peeling your onions um, if you refer to the former idea then obviously just remove your onions in each half at a time as you cook with them uh, and that should alleviate most of the symptoms so we just want to cut the onions across ways now so we're going to slice across the onion into thin um, and I would say they're probably half a cent centimeter widths and uh, you just basically want to dice your onions. So I cut them across ways and then holding the onion firmly in place, I then cut across the alternative direction, which cuts neat little squares. So I'm gonna get those cut. And if you are particularly prone to, uh, to being teary at this stage with your onions, you might even consider throwing your chopped onions back into the water. Um, I, however, can manage to brave it on this occasion. So we've cut all the way across there with our onions. I'm just doing my second onion now. And these are going to go into a frying pan just with that knob of butter that we've mentioned in the ingredients list, uh, just to soften. And again, we don't want any kind of fierce heat here. Uh, there is nothing worse than onions which have charred at the edges unless that is their intention. So if you want that bitterness, that um, which so often happens if you're um, over frying onions perhaps for a burger and they catch on the other side of the pan but that lovely sautéed silky translucent onion that we've come to know and love in so many dishes um, pace is not what's required nor haste but simply uh, an easy layabout in a pan over a whisper of heat uh, you might prefer to pop a lid on in that instance but just leave them to do their own work and slowly they will soften in that butter so I have a frying pan to hand 
and the knob of butter. Now, this is probably the best part of 15 grams of butter. And we've popped that over onto a moderate uh, heat. So at this point, that's just set to number six, which is the halfway mark on my rather temperamental electric cooker. Um, if you were using a gas stove, I would suggest for a uh, uh, sort of low flame. And indeed, if you were an arger, you would want the simmering plate. Now, these are going to take some time. Um, whilst they're cooking out, and it may be you want to return to this podcast in a short time, but nonetheless, uh, I will just talk you through the remainder of the ingredients. So the breadcrumbs, um, when it refers to soft breadcrumbs, crust ends of bread, no matter how many days they've been perhaps lingering in the bread bin for, are infinitely softer than bread that has been frozen and is blitzed from frozen. If you are desiring almost um, sand-like crumbs, the finest sand um, that is almost like dust, then I would advise that you pop any bread needed in the freezer, ensure it's fully frozen before you start to work with it, and put it into, um, I use a, a, oh, um, Ninja, which is some kind of a blender-esque type thing, horribly noisy, but nonetheless does the trick. Um, that will get your breadcrumbs into the finest sort of powder possible. Um, soft breadcrumbs are usually from crusts that are perhaps um, of a tin loaf or a white um, or wholemeal slice loaf, uh, but that haven't staled sufficiently, and therefore you get a really soft crumb, and that's what I'm looking for with today's breadcrumbs. I have taken the liberty of blitzing those crumbs before I came on here, and um, I didn't want to subject you to the noise of the ninja, which, of course, wakes anybody that may still be sleeping in the house. So... Those crumbs we are going to put into a mixing bowl. Now, I will weigh the crumbs because, again, it's my naked eye that judges these things. So, I figured out that for the best part of six to eight of us, I'm figuring a couple of the younger ones won't be particularly interested in the stuffing. I've got a hundred and... 50 grams of breadcrumbs so that's a combination of a bit of leftover sourdough a white slice loaf a couple of end crusts from a wholemeal tin loaf uh, and I think there was actually the knob end of a baguette in there as well so a nice little mixture what we then need to do is add some oil and some fats to that and I'm also going to break with perhaps tradition and add an egg which my mum always used to do so whenever we were kids and she would make stuffing from a pack, she nonetheless would then bastardise that and make it her own. So she would add an egg. So I've had a glug of olive oil in there, probably 15 to 20 grams, uh, and I've just broken an egg then on the side of that bowl, and I'm gonna mix that in with a fork. So nothing too arduous, just stir that round and just give those crumbs something to cling to. And We've got the sage leaves, which you will throw in the pan in the last minute, just to crisp slightly once the onions have softened sufficiently. Uh, we do need to remember to season these crumbs as well. And I'm also going to melt some more butter 
in the pan of onions once the onions have been removed so that I can keep that butter. It's not going to get absorbed by the onions and I'll keep it and simply melt it to the point of becoming liquid and then add it to the breadcrumbs also. Um, this mixture can then be left to sit for quite some time. Depending on how loose you like your stuffing, you may want to add a splash of water. All that will do really is soak into your crumbs and offer a looser, more moist um, breadcrumb which I'm particularly a fan of other people like this stuffing a bit more crumbly and less able to cling to a spoon um, and again it's you can play around with this there are no hard and fast rules so don't think for a minute that anything you do here could really kind of turn the dish from hero to zero inside seconds um, add everything a little at a time which gives you far greater control over what it's going to end up looking like now, do remember water goes a long way with things like breadcrumbs so you really will only need I would suggest, um, looking at the shells of the egg I've broken, half an egg full. I've broken the egg pretty much central, so you can just fill one half of that eggshell with um, kettle water. Um, again, hot water, infinitely easier. And just mix that around. Now, if we go across to the stove and take a look at the onions, these are starting now, just to soften slightly, it would be fair to say that my stove is far more temperamental, perhaps, than yours. Now, while the onions are um, softening in that pan, then I am going to quickly just prepare the sage leaves. Again, um, sage offers an abundance of flavours here, so let's not shirk away from including uh, as many leaves as we can without overkill. Um, these are sadly pre-packed. I can't seem to keep it alive in our garden at the moment, which disappoints me no end. Um, I've always struggled with herbs. Um, although I've finally mastered rosemary and thyme and mint, although I can't understand anyone that can't manage mint. Even my mother didn't manage to kill that off, and uh, most things in the garden didn't seem to survive. Um, but the sage leaves are beautiful. They're softer than rabbit's ears, and they just emit this lovely sort of wintry hue. I, yeah, I really, really like them. Um, they they bring alive sort of plain, bland breadcrumbs and just the slightly flavour some onion um, but they lend an altogether fragrant flavour to the breadcrumbs. Uh, I am also inclined to want to just pop a little bit of citrus in here um, and again nothing much, um, it doesn't need to be too lemony but I do have a lemon hanging around that is looking for a home so I will take the zest of the lemon um, and the juice, there is only half a lemon remaining so that will be what we get and I've got just a simple peeler, which again will effectively take that zest from the exterior of the lemon. Um, for anyone wanting to know about removing zest, it's very, very important that you don't start to include the pith, because the pith in actual fact is quite bitter, and, um, and that can sort of take away the lovely freshness of the citrus notes. So depending on how severe your grater is, it may be that you only need to rub the citrus fruit uh, once or twice across those um, jagged graters. So we're just going to add a little bit of lemon zest there to it. Uh, and I'm a big fan of using fruits and herbs to enhance most dishes. I'll get that going in there. Uh, and also, if we just give a squeeze of that juice as well won't do it any harm. I did actually rustle up some apple sauce early, which I'm not going to bore you with the details of here uh, and ask you to listen along. But for anyone that is interested 
in briefly knowing what went into that. It's nothing other than I've got three apples uh, that I've unwrapped that we've taken from the trees in autumn. I've wrapped them up in newspaper uh, and to be fair they're still beyond their best now um, but nonetheless they've withstood quite a long winter. So I've just unpackaged those, taken the peel off, diced the apple and then dropped it in a pan with a um, couple of knobs of butter, um, they're probably 30 grams tops of butter, a pinch of black pepper, a sprinkling of cinnamon and then just a splash of water to make sure they don't stick and then again just over quite a kind heat so nothing too fierce um, just soften those apples stirring and then um, a squeeze of lemon to stop discoloration and then just pop them all into a little kilner jar which I'll serve them directly from at the table later um, and it is just a really easy way of using up apples I mean these were hanging around as I say from last autumn but if you have got them sitting around um, in your fruit bowl that are starting to look a little bit past their best skin's too wrinkly for anyone to eagerly take them from the bowl then put them into something like that or they work really well with um, pork and cider so don't just let things like that go to waste but um, use them even with sausage and mash and you can put them into a nice white wine gravy so let's move across now to the stove and we can hear there the onions are starting to lose their rigidity and just soften in that butter. I am at this stage going to add a little bit of seasoning. Again, I think it's vital that we add salt and pepper um, along the way and make sure that we taste this as we go because if we don't check for seasoning, quite often it can cook out or in the um, instances of soups and things, it will reduce down and as the soups reduce and thicken, it can have the reverse effect and actually things like salt can concentrate. So I'm always inclined that whilst I season, whilst I go, I'm mindful that at the end, it's likely I will want to adjust that seasoning. So I've just got a pinch of salt flakes that will go in here and one, two pinches of black pepper. Um, I'm also going to season the breadcrumbs. Again, same process, a pinch of salt. And I wasn't too generous on the salt in the crumbs, but I have popped a couple of black pepper pinchfuls in there. And those crumbs are quite, um, quite moist. The egg binds them and of course the liquid too from the water that we splashed in um, and then back across to the pan if yours is similar in stage to mine then those onions are well on their way to softening completely the stuffing will go in the oven so the onions do have time to cook further but of course everything you can do before that to make sure that they're thoroughly cooked through before being served then all help so um, if we just stir those around the pan. What we don't want them to do is catch at all on the underside. Um, and of course, stuffing is wonderful to keep in. If you want to serve it alongside perhaps a roast chicken, you can adopt the same recipe. Um, I'm a big fan, uh, particularly in the sort of autumn and winter months, of leftover roast chicken pushed into a lovely soft white pillowy cob or bun or bap or however you name these such things um, with stuffing and cranberry sauce so I'm a sucker for anything sweet so the cranberry sauce really um, just brings the whole thing to life for me uh, others are more inclined to use mayo in the um, instead of the cranberry sauce 
but in any instance, stuffing can kick around in the fridge for quite a few days. Um, equally nice, just dropped onto the top of a pork chop. So there are a multitude of uses for things like this. Uh, it costs next to nothing to make with ingredients that are typically hanging around in your store cupboard. You might not always have sage around uh, unless you're better at growing it than me, and it wouldn't take uh, too much bother to try and grow a pot of it. Um, but in the most part, I always have onions around. There's always a leftover crust somewhere, um, and certainly olive oil is a staple in our larder. Now, those onions, for my liking, are pretty much done. So they've retained a slight bit of bite, um, and I do want there to be some texture to the stuffing, which otherwise would just be sort of a, a mushy, um, soft mess. And I'm going to quickly remove those and then put those straight into the breadcrumbs. And then as mentioned previously, I will then melt some butter in this pan and throw the sage leaves in there just to crisp slightly before I add them to the stuffing. So we've got um, another knob of butter. Now the pan's already hot, so we should find that very quickly the butter gives way to the heat of the frying pan. Uh, when I've mentioned another knob of butter, that is around 25 grams for anybody keen to know exact quantities. That's melting nicely in the pan, and I'm just going to throw these sage leaves in now. Um, I've chopped the sage leaves up quite finely. You can leave them whole if you wish, uh, but I think I, I want to keep enough to them that they're visible. I don't want to lose that glorious, dusty, sort of muted green tone to it. Uh, again, going back to the fact the breadcrumbs are already quite insipid in colour. And those leaves can just quickly fry in that pan with the butter as it melts. Uh, but crucially here, we don't want to lose that butter and let it evaporate completely because we want that back into our bread mix. So just pushing those around the pan. And I'm excited to be doing roast pork later. Um, I think in the run-up to Christmas, we've eaten so much rich food, um, lots of steaks and very rich sauces, and, and lots of foods that are arguably unhealthy and bad for us. Um, it's been quite nice to, in fact, just do something that's quite light and comforting. So the sage leaves, all we really want to see them do here is wilt against the heat of the pan. We don't want them to scorch or catch in any way. Uh, and as I say, still have the remnants of the butter that will bind the breadcrumbs some more. So remove them from the heat and tip them into the pan of breadcrumbs with the onion. And then stir the whole lot, making sure you scrape all that lovely golden butter out of the pan. And stir it all through. And then all we're going to do with this is set it aside and we can pop it in the oven um, at the same time as the cauliflower cheese later with a little foil lid to stop it from drying out too much. But for now, just simply stir those lovely herbs and onion through the potato mix. So you'll find there's quite a nice ratio of onion to breadcrumbs. So you're not just looking and faced with a bowl full of breadcrumbs, but in actual fact, you've got a nice mixture there of onion and sage that filters through it. Uh, for anyone wondering about the number of sage leaves, I would say probably about 14 to 16, but they weren't enormously big. So if you do get those wonderfully large ones, um, you might want to consider using perhaps a dozen or so. Um, Again, depending on how you loose you like your stuffing, 
you might want to consider adding a splash more water or indeed another drizzle of olive oil just to help the ingredients bind um, and stir that thoroughly and then just find an oven proof dish to decant it into. Now much as I love chatting to you here and letting you follow along, um, the pork is still going to be in the oven for the next probably best part of three and a half hours and I can talk the hind leg off a donkey. I'm quite sure however you don't want to listen to me talk you all the way through the nuances um, and total nonsense that may or may not happen in between now and the next three and a half hours. So um, I will part company with you at this stage. Um, quick heads up around your leg of pork or shoulder of pork to um, remind you you do need to check it and baste it probably only every three quarters of an hour to an hour. Um, it will be cooked inside three and a half hours um, if it's around three kilo. If it's closer to four kilo, you might want to give it that extra half an hour in the oven. What I would say is, and this is typical with all meat, particularly roast joints, let it rest. I cannot implore enough. Meat that isn't allowed to rest will remain tough. Um, it won't go cold, contrary to what people think. It does not go cold. It's quite a solid piece of meat. So when you remove it from the oven, you can remove it a good half hour before you're even planning on serving it. And so long as you loosely cover it in foil, and then I'm inclined to get a large bath towel, or if I've got a few tea towels around the kitchen, and I just wrap it in those, and that keeps it beautifully warm, and it allows all the meat to soften. You'll get a puddle of juices that will collect in the bottom of that tray from the foil, um, but it certainly won't do it any harm. I have, in fact, left joints of meat to rest for up to two hours before now, when we've been stomping across hills um, before we want to sit down and eat. So be assured that whilst you get on doing the remainder of the vegetables that will be accompanying it, you want to perhaps rustle up some Yorkshire puddings, or you just want to enjoy drinks um, and sit round the table enjoying a starter, that meat will not, um, will not, nothing bad will happen to it. So leave it be, um, allow it to rest and enjoy your roast shoulder of pork. I hope you found today's podcast interesting. I hope it's been easy to follow along. Sorry if I've gone off at tangent somewhere along the way, um, but please do share this podcast with family and friends who may have the same interest in you as cooking. Um, and again, subscribe and leave your comments. They really do matter to me. Thanks again and have a good day.